Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade, Renegade Talk Radio. Oh, yeah. I'm back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, yeah. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is E.G. the Urban Scholar, and you are listening to Renegade Talk Las Vegas, where we don't sugarcoat anything. And just like I promised you all, I have a very special, special, special guest. And yes, like I've been saying, the type of issues that we've been talking about here have been very, very, very concerned. And so with that being said, I actually have someone here that is actually running for the U.S. Congress. It brings me the quite pleasure to introduce Mr. Rodney Smith. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and actually what is that you're actually doing? Okay, well, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, Once again, my name is Rodney Smith and I am campaigning to represent Nevada's 4th Congressional District for the U.S. House of Representatives, otherwise known as Congress. I would be one of 435 members. I am running because the 4th Congressional District has the largest concentration of veterans in the state. It has the majority of all of the military installations in the state. Yes. But it also has the largest percentage of African Americans in the state. Uh, It's the second largest district in Nevada. It is one of the largest districts in the country. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. So this is important. Yes. A lot of the uh, gold that's mined in Nevada comes out of the 4th Congressional District. So this is, uh, of course, all uh, some of the some casinos are in Nevada's fourth. But in general, it runs from east west of the valley from on the west, far west. It is North Summerlin. So pretty much if you think of uh, Lake Mead Boulevard uh, north in Summerlin, it comes all the way over to uh, Rainbow. Then it drops down into uh, the, to take in the historic west side, mm-hmm. and then on 15, it goes back up to Lake Mead for the most part, over to Sunrise slash uh, Frenchman's Mountain, and it takes in a part of Sunrise Manor, Nellis Air Force Base, uh, the uh, Army Reserve installations that's there. It goes up to the uh, the test site, yes. is a part of it, the Nevada Test and Training Range is a, a part of it, and it goes all the way up to just under Carson City and the, the Reno area, so it's a, it has a large urban corridor here yes. in the city cities, and then it's quite, the, the majority of the district is rural. It's seven counties, and in those counties, it has the fifth largest uh, school district in the nation, so I, I think it's a, a very important uh, district to have, and I think we need to have some people who are in Congress who represent their people. Yes, I definitely would agree with, with that. And basically, I just was, I kind of wanted to know about how long have you actually been concerned about the actual district? Well, I've been involved in different aspects of the district for about 28 years. Okay. Uh, starting out with schools. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Uh, Shirley Barber used to be the school board trust, one of the school board trustees uh, in the fourth. And as you know, the fourth district is a new district. It's only been in existence since 2012. Right. And but I still lived in the area that would become the fourth uh, when I first got here, and I'd been stationed here a few times. Uh, initially, that's how what brought me to Vegas is work initially, and then I was uh, stationed on the te- the uh, test site, and I had a classified job there for. A number of years yes and then I came back to the regular installation uh, left came back left came back they like me here I guess and in doing that I discovered life outside of the base and I discovered the the west side the historic west side and I really fell in love with it and what I got out of that is I call it the Mecca for African Americans yes because there's a lot of opportunity but you have to have people that's gonna help tear down some of the barriers 
that prevent that community, our community, from realizing some of those opportunities. So for me, uh, one of the things that got me interested in it was uh, in 2016, I went to a, uh, a veterans town hall mm-hmm. and none of the candidates were veterans. Oh, and they didn't really talk about veterans' issues. They would talk about other right, things, exactly. but they wouldn't talk about veterans' issues. Well, I'm a veteran. Exactly. And then they had an uh, African-American town hall that was put on by the uh, Clark County Black Caucus. And none of the panels panelists were African-American. <laughs> and, of course, they didn't talk about any African-American issues, and they kept changing it to other groups' issues. Which is would be fine, but this forum was specifically for African Americans, and I was frustrated with that, and I was frustrated with the Democratic Party for allowing that to happen. And I realized that hey, if they won't talk about our issues right in front of us, well, I know they're not going to talk about our issues behind us. And I'm a veteran, and I'm African American, right. and we're both getting left out. And this state has one of the largest veterans population of any state, of roughly 12 to 15%, depending on where you get the data from, of this state is made up of veterans. Yes. And then you throw another uh, 12 to 15% with some overlap is, uh, or excuse me, 11% of the, uh, 8% of the state is made up of African-Americans. So when you look at that, there's two groups collectively that's about a fifth of this population that weren't going to get any attention. And I thought that 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 just wasn't right. And somebody needed to step up. And since no one had at the time uh, that looked like us, I would would try my my hand at it. Would you say that one of the biggest issues actually so far as the district would be the education? Or would you maybe say so far as family and children? I know they're pretty much all strong issues, but we kind of want to maybe understand and get a feeling for the actual district. What would you say is one of the top priorities? It's, it's going to be really hard to nail it down. Right. And a lot of these issues actually are interrelated. So, for example, when we, we do have issues with the families. And but we have issues with the schools. Right. And a lot of people say the reason why we have so many issues with the schools is because we have issues with the family. Exactly. We also have issues with people having jobs that pay a living wage. Because if you don't have a job that pay a living wage, then it makes it difficult to raise the family properly. And of course, if the family's not being raised properly, those children have difficulties in school and eventually comes into contact with law enforcement. So I would say, if if you really wanted me to narrow it down, I would take it to education. Okay. Education is the number one issue. If without people being educated to properly conduct themselves just in society, Uh they're losing. If they don't have the right academic education or trade skills for the available jobs, then they're losing. I definitely agree with that so far as I would say the education would be the foundation of the community. So it does start with the education. Then it kind of trickles down to the families and children. So far as healthcare. So before we go into that, I just want to add one more thing to that. Family should be the foundation. Okay. So we're actually out of sync. But because the families, due to incarceration yeah, and some, yes. uh, some drugs and some other things, our families are on life support right now. And because our families are lacking in so many areas, uh-huh. right now what we have is the only way really to save the families is we're gonna have to educate the children that's in the system now right? so that when they grow up, they can do a better job. If we don't do that, however bad it is for the families today, uh-huh. it will be much worse for those families of tomorrow. So this is something that's an imperative so we can put things back in the proper order where then it's family and then after family, it's education because education starts at the home. True. It's funny that you kind of touched on the justice system. So far as here, what, it's kind of funny that you said that because to me, I saw a decline so far as the actual family structure so far as the 80s, when the whole Reagan era, as we call it, kind of took over and a lot of the fathers left from the home. So then it became a single mother household. 
And I think that right there kind of shifted America in a different light for the urban community. Well, I'm going to take it back a little before that. Okay. Because as you probably know, African Americans were more likely to be married than any other group up until the 60s. Okay. So African Americans were the most religious groups of people. As a fact, the things that we consider good for society, Mm -hmm. African Americans always led in those categories. In the 60s, things started to change. And then social scientists say that they can pinpoint the date when things flip for us. And that's circa 1972. Now, mind you, before that, there was Jim Crow. They're saying even during Jim Crow, things still, because families were still together. But once some of the social service programs kicked into place, and one of the things that we all all talk about, and that's the one where, oh no, that man cannot be there for that woman to receive benefits. So the man was sort of pushed out. Now we allowed that to happen, but it's the fact still remains that it happened. Mm -hmm. And we have not recovered from that. Then when you throw the higher incarceration rate of African-Americans, which has always been the case, and we know from statistics that if a person is in jail, it is seven times more likely that their children will go to jail. Right. And today, what you see is generations of people, families, in jail. So that we cannot under, we cannot overstate the importance of the incarceration of African Americans in America, whether it's through uh, drugs, mm-hmm. marijuana, and, and crack, uh, which inordinately inordinately impacted African-Americans or just the same system that's been in place since the Jim Crow laws with convict leasing right after Reconstruction that incarcerated a large number of black people simply because they were black and the plantation owners still needed that free labor. And that free labor is still going on in the prison today. Yes, Yes, I know I've seen it. As much as things have changed, many things are still the same. And one of the reasons why I'm a nonpartisan is because it didn't make a difference whether there was a Democrat or Republican in the White House or controlling Congress. African-Americans still maintain roughly twice the unemployment rate of the majority population, and our prison, our incarceration rate is multiple times higher than any other group. And over the generations, that incarceration has impacted the potential of that community providing for itself. I mean, so do you really feel like if there was some type of prison reform or justice reform that it would really make a difference in society? So laws are one thing. We need to have the right laws. There's no doubt about that. I agree. But if you still have the same people administering those laws with the same mindsets that they've always had, then you will still get what you've been getting. Exactly. So it's not only about laws. As a matter of fact, the laws, we probably have all the laws that we're going to get. It is about who do you have administering those laws and what types of mindsets do they have. So in other words, if they see a black person and they automatically assume because he's black that he's guilty of a crime, yes. then more than likely he is going to jail. Even if he's just walking along the street and I know. did absolutely <laughs> nothing. So that mindset has to be changed. That's why I said right now, education is the most important piece. Children are not born racist. Right usually not born prejudice or with many biases at all other than a basic survival. But by the time they start school, yes, African-American children on average start out with a greater potential for learning than any other cultural group in America. That's true. But by the time they get into third grade, once again, that has flipped. What changed? Now, I'm not saying 100% that's the causation, but one of the things that's changed is that they came to this burning house called the education system that devalues African-Americans and adds importance to everyone else simply because they exclude African-Americans and their contributions to the history of this world and to this country. And then it makes it seem that other groups, primarily the majority population, has contributed everything. Mm -hmm. So you have one group that's taught that they are greater than, you have another group that's taught that they are less than. So naturally the group that believes that everything comes from them, they look down on everyone else and it makes it easier for them to dehumanize them and to mistreat them. As a matter of fact, I don't even get mad anymore because just maybe 
in many instances, this is something that has been ingrained in their psyche as if they have been conditioned. And yes. they are acting out sometimes things that they don't even perceive to be as it is because in their minds, they're not even doing it. Right, that's true. I definitely can agree with that. So from where they gather, I kind of understand what you're saying. And so far as my actual opinion about that, I would have to say that I think the media has a lot to do with it. When you're growing up and you see certain things on TV that they kind of, I would say, indoctrinate to us as kids. So then when we grow up, like you said, we have these issues. And also at the same time, we grow up without any type of uh, male role model, a figure in the household, which definitely trickles down to us. And <laughs> I hate to say it, but it kind of doesn't really give us a working chance, a fighting chance when we get older, unless somewhere in between we actually get to the education. And now we understand and have a better learning process of what's really going on in today's society. Well, I remember when I grew up, one of the most valuable things that my parents, my mother, my grandmother taught me mm -hmm. was to be the best, to be better, mm -hmm. and to be twice as good, if not better than that. Right, there's no words like, I can't, or. As a matter of fact, my mother taught me not to, to say, say that word. Exactly, I'm you, saying, you yep, say yeah, exactly. Right? But she taught me not uh -huh. to say that word. Now, growing up, because I thought America was kind of like the same thing. There was nothing that we can, could not do. So that fell in line with my thought. And I can tell you the reason why that's important is because it caused me to push harder. And I know many people say, well, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, you're right, but I, this is the world that I live in. Yes. And in this world, for me to be recognized, on even footing, not to be recognized as better, but for me to even be considered on even footing with the majority population, I had to be twice as good. Well, if I had to be twice as good to be recognized as just as good, then how do they perceive the person that's just kind of basic? Right. All right, he's gonna be considered less than in their eyes. And the reason why it's important is how other groups see us is because there's, they are the ones in control. They're the ones who control the media. Exactly. And so when they put out these images of us on in the media, it is always, or up until recently, they've been very demeaning yes. images and exaggerated images of us. Every single day we see something and we turn, the, we turn the TV on and see a kid of color, I hate to say it, but we see them either running from the police, getting shot, um, committing some type of acts of crime that at the end of the day, I think that we have really nothing to do with. And like the main reason why I say that is because the, there are other races, I hate to say it, that are committing crimes, but for some odd reason, they seem to pinpoint and shine the light on the actual black community. Um, that's just kind of what it is at this point. But I really understand where you're coming from and I love the issues that you actually talk about. And from the research and everything that I have learned about you, I really think that you are actually a good leader for us and maybe can take us to the next step and actually where we need to be as a community and as a nation and as a whole. Well, I will say that our communities as a whole need a different style of leadership than what we've been getting. Exactly. And I'm not one to wanna bash people and talk about what other people aren't doing so much. I would like to talk about what we can do and what we can do together because that's how we move past where we are. If we constantly going back to what was done, I mean, we need to know it and recognize it so we have our bearings on how to establish a course forward. But we have to start talking about where are we going from here and how are we going to get there. If we know, which I don't think it's an if because we know right. that others are not going to do for us, then we should stop waiting on others to do for us. And it's the change has to happen with us. Mm -hmm. And once we change us and how we view things and what we're going to do and start doing those things, things will get better. Even if there's an artificial ceiling, what I'm saying is let's do what we need to do to butt up against that artificial ceiling until we can either push it up higher mm -hmm. or, or break through it, one or the other. But that part is on us. Again, people say, but it shouldn't be that way. You're absolutely right. It shouldn't, but it is. So you can wait for it to fix itself, which it has proven in my lifetime that it's not going to fix itself. It's only going to get worse for us and our children. 
Now, some people say, well, Rodney, you're talking about black people, though. There's other groups of people. Yes, of course. What I tell them is, in America, in our history, when black people improve, this country improves. Yeah, that's that's actually a good way to look at things. Well, that's that's the reality. Yeah. Remember when we started, when they started this country, the only people who could vote were rich, white men and landowners. That's it. After the Civil War, now you had these Africans who became African-Americans and those black men looking for that right to vote. Well, if you gave black men the right to vote, obviously they were slaves, so they didn't own anything, most right. of them, right? So what about all of these white men that were poor and didn't have any land? Well, they could not be under black men who used to be slaves. Right. So then all men got the right to vote. So after the slavery, the abolitionists went directly over to the women's suffrage movement, and that is what led to women getting the right to vote. And then we had uh, Native Americans, Asian Americans getting the right to vote. That was all built because black people got the right to vote. As a matter of fact, every group in this nation besides the majority population, even they have gained, when black people have gained, uh, white women have gained Mm -hmm. because of the gains of black people. So why I focus on that is because we epitomize what's wrong with America. So when you fix us, you fix America. Had people put the efforts necessary in place during the crack epidemic? Yes, I know. And maybe we wouldn't have the opioid epidemic, but notice the difference. Crack epidemic, epidemic put them in jail. Yes. Opioid epidemic declare a national emergency. Or send them to class. <laughs> Give them treatment. Treatment class. Right. See the difference? Yeah. But had they taken care of us in the first place, we may not have this issue. We have always been the canary in the coal mines in America. Where we are today, then other poor people will be if we don't fix us. Yes, I definitely would agree with that. Just mo- moving a little bit along here, um, what's your stance and how do you feel about this health care issue? I know it's a, it's been kind of all over the media lately and a lot of people really don't understand. They just know that they go collect their check and they can kind of go to the hospital whenever they would like, but they don't really understand how this election is the most important election within the past 50 to 60 years and how this election is gonna affect the youth and a younger generation for the next 20 to 30 years. We, 70% of Americans uh, about 52% of Republicans and about 70 plus percent of Democrats support Medicare for all. Okay. So the majority of this country's population support Medicare for all. If the representatives are truly the representing the people, then this is a, some legislation that would be passed with bipartisanship and everybody would be happy. It is not because we don't have the money. That's That's a falsehood. Mm -hmm. It's not because it's socialism, because once whatever it is comes to America, it is American. Right. I always use the analogy of, you know, that hot dogs and apple pie and Chevrolet. Well, hot dogs didn't originate here and apple pie didn't originate here. But it epitomizes what America is today because we've embraced it. We take the best from all over the world. Then we make it work here. That's why we have ascended to the position in the world that we are because we got the best from everywhere. We're not a one issue or a one expertise company, a country, we get it all. Well, I say the same thing with healthcare. Someone says, oh, so you're gonna bring socialism. I said, no, I'm gonna bring something that works and something that the people is asking for, but just as important, financially, it's something that's needed. Right now, Americans do not produce enough children to sustain themselves. And we have an older population due to the baby boomers and immigration that happened after World War II. So instead of it looking like more of a pyramid, what what we have is almost like a column. But as you get closer to the bottom of the column, Mm -hmm. the young people sort of are are smaller base. Exactly. Well, those young people are supposed to be paying for those older people. But if you have less young, this will be the first time in the country's history where you've had less young people. And they're simply, we cannot sustain the healthcare system the way we're going because we don't have enough people paying, Just we just don't have enough young people. So that hits two areas. We have to have our people employed. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, we have to have immigration in this country so that we can get the people to support the rest 
of the folks that are already here. Exactly. That's funny as you touched on the immigration, that's actually where I was just headed to. What is your really take on the, so far as immigration and um, just on a side note, how do you feel about um, that situation that's going on in Mexico? I know it's been all over the news and Trump, he's been, he kind of wants them just to stop and actually just turn around. But I know that really can't be the, the case because they have something to prove here. It's not about just walking to the border. I believe that it's actually about their pride and about showing us that everybody has to be free. So why not let them come over and actually maybe make the country better? Can I say that? Or how do you feel like their impact would, like what would it really do for the country? Well, first of all, we need immigrants. Correct. That's number one. So I think that we have uh, we establish false arguments. Okay. America needs immigrants, period. So we should not demonize what we need because if we demonize what we need and then don't get it, we're going to suffer. That's the classic, uh, what is it, uh, cut your nose off to spite your face? Yeah. <laughs> well, we, yeah. We, we need that, right? So we have to acknowledge that this is something we need immigration in this country. Now, we want legal immigration, so I take a different take on the normal discussion. Okay. People talk about who's coming in going, well, believe it or not, if we weren't hired them, they wouldn't come. Right. So as long as we're hired them, they're going to come. So that becomes a moot issue to me. Because if we really don't want them, just don't hire them. The people are coming to work and we need workers. So how about streamlining the immigration process? We send people to the moon. Mm -hmm. We have some of the most advanced military equipment in the history of the world, right? Right. But yet, you mean to tell me it takes 18 years to process some paperwork for somebody who's trying to immigrate to this country? <laughs> well, if I had to wait, if you had to wait 18 years for a job, oh no. <laughs> what what would you do? It definitely would not happen. I wouldn't even wait 18. I couldn't. So how about instead of the two sides bickering mm -hmm. like the Hatfields and the McCoys about this false issue, how about they fix the immigration? process, it should take no one more than seven years to immigrate to this country as a citizen. And that's one of my goals and that's one of the things I'll push with the people's help is let's spend whatever money is necessary to get whatever software and computers that we need, whatever processes that we need. Let's do a Six Sigma on the process of immigration. And I believe we can cut that down to seven years within my first two years of office we can put the processes in place to do that. And then the illegal immigration problem may not be as much of a problem because the people that we need will be able to immigrate here in an expeditious manner. And, and second of all, we need them. I can agree with that. What's your um, take on, I don't know if you are up to date with what Trump just put in with that executive order about the non-citizenship? Birthright citizenship. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's, part of our constitution. Yes, right. So the president does not have the authority. So legally, the president does not have the authority to sign an executive order to overrule Congress. Right. That's legal. But here's a reality. Exactly. If Congress gives up, advocates their responsibility, then the president can run roughshod over them and mm -hmm. do what the heck he wants to do like any other two-bit despot and exactly. dictator. Another reason why Congress simply is not working, I don't care what party, it simply is not working. It's supposed to be checks and balances with three separate branches of government. If one goes a little too far, the other one is supposed to bring it back in line. But right now, our Congress isn't working and it doesn't make any difference which party that's going to be there. Another reason why I'm a nonpartisan, I believe we have to get more people as nonpartisans, definitely the poor minorities mm -hmm. and specifically black people. You don't need to create another party. So basically what I'm kind of getting is that, like you said, these people that have been in Congress for a while and it's time for some new blood, really. It's, it's, time, it's time for new mindsets. That's what it's time for because what we can see is you can rotate people out, but if you just bring in another person that has the same mindset as the person that left, then you're going to keep getting the same thing. So no, we need to bring people in with a different mindset. Let's get rid of this party 
business. Mm -hmm. Let's get back into the people business because exactly. that's what they're supposed to be. And that's what I represent is we have to get people in Congress that knows the issues, which means we need the people mm -hmm. need to know what our issues are and make sure that we vote for those people who support our issues. If they don't support our issues, regardless of party, then they need to go. Okay. I definitely understand. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's a, a very lot. Um, I have a few more questions and I'm gonna wrap a few things up here. So far as how do you feel about gun violence? It's horrible. But gun violence is another political football that gets kicked around. So you have the so-called two sides, the duopoly. You have the, the reds and the blues, the Democrats and the Republicans. I like to call them the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah. You know, that, that's what you have because that's how they act and conduct themselves. That's how they control the people. It's just like gangs control the people. So when I was a child, as an example, I, I lived in the rural South. Mm -hmm. And you could bring your guns to school. Right. As a matter of fact, Christmas time or your birthday, you got a new gun, you brought it to school and you showed everyone. Or on the way home, you might see dinner run across the road. So mm -hmm. you needed to be ready to get, bring dinner home. Right. And there was none of these issues. So the fabric of our society is the problem. It's not the guns, it is the people. Now, do I want people running around with tanks and bazookas and howitzers and things like that? Of course not. But let's not put so much focus on the gun and let's put the focus on what's really going to make the difference is what is it about today's society that leads people to want to go out and mass slaughter a bunch of other humans. If we don't deal with that, you could get rid of this gun, then they'll use that gun. And if you get rid of that gun, they'll find another. Oh, and if you got rid of all the guns, okay, maybe they'll pull out knives. Maybe they'll use explosives. Because again, it is the sick minds of society that are getting sicker because we're not doing the things to prevent it and to give the people the proper uh, education as well as the proper health care mm -hmm. that they need to counter the sickness that we had that we that man has created in our society I definitely will agree with you and with that being said I'm just going to take a brief quite small break again you're listening to Renegade Talk of Las Vegas and I'm here with Rodney Smith and we have a lot more to go I'll be back Stick this in your ear. Number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade, Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back. My name is EG, the Urban Scholar. You're listening to Renegade Talk Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. And today, as usual, very special show. Hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Oh, yeah. Let's go. I can't fool myself. I don't want nobody else to ever love me. You are my shining star, my guiding light, my love fantasy. There's not a minute, hour, day, or night that I don't love you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back. Again, my name is E.G. the Urban Scholar, and I have a special guest, Mr. Rodney Smith. Oh, yeah. Well, well, uh, if you're just tuning in, we're having a brief conversation just about some of the main issues that are facing us today. And so, just getting back to some of the type of questions, Mr. Smith, how do you feel about should drug traffickers receive the death penalty? And what's your take on that whole death penalty so far as those extreme, crazy sentences for a little bit of nothing that many of our, let's just call it what it is, many of our black people are faced with today. You know, like we said, when they get pretty much caught, they spend majority of their life in jail and they cannot get home to their families. A lot of issues that they had are left just open and unbroken. So how can we really maybe the certain steps to go towards some type of reform with the justice system or actually help 
like help America at this point. The majority of people in jail are in jail for drug-related crimes. Correct. The majority of them are African uh, Americans who are in there for drug-related crimes. And we talk about the father not being in the home and broken families. Well, we're breaking up the families every day right here within this country. We don't have to worry about the people coming across and trying to get in here. We're breaking up families right here. So, first of all, marijuana is becoming legal throughout this country. Correct. And the people who are in jail for nonviolent marijuana charges should have their sentences commuted ended. It it should be over. Uh, Those who have committed violent acts, then they should be in for the violent act. But as far as the use or possession of marijuana, they need to come home. Yes. But before they come home, they need training. They need to be prepared to be reintegrated back into society. Now, I'm not saying keep them in jail until they get that because I don't believe they should be in jail, but there should be a mechanism to help them transition from prison slash the plantation back into general society. These people, have they need to go back to work, mm-hmm. so they need skills so that they can go to work, but they also need just basic societal skills. For those people who may not have had the opportunity to be in our prison system. Basically what we do is we dehumanize them, we treat them like slaves, and I'll go so far as to say we treat them like animals, and we allow them to become animals, and then when we release them, here's another area that we need to improve on, they're not allowed to get benefits. In other words, they don't have a skill, they don't have a job, if they had a felony, no one's really going to hire them. So then they get out, and it's very much like, you know, once slavery was over, and people, okay, now, you don't have a job because you're not a slave, but you don't have any money either. How are you going to eat? So what we have, these people need to eat. They need to be able to provide for themselves until they can get a job. We do need to provide services, housing. It's a basic need for human beings. Yes. It's simple housing. They need housing, they need food, and they need to, uh, some job training, but they need some basic societal skills so that they could get rid of that jail mindset mentality and come back into uh, civil society. Exactly. I definitely can agree with that. And also they really say that another name for slavery is convict. So that will really kind of make sense because you become a felon, which is pretty much makes you a convict, especially if you've ever been to prison. And when you go back and look, they made these convicts with the thought of maybe they can be slaves. So then that kind of goes back to what you were saying with the lease for the prison reform. And it's just, it's so it's so big of a story behind it because I'm just gonna go off subject just a, a little bit, but back in, I believe um, it was the 1920s, 30s, they actually made it illegal. So far as if you were black, you had to have a job. And if you didn't have a job, they would take you to jail and if you were just out kind of walking, looking for a job, and you said you didn't have one, you would actually go to the plantation where they would keep you and make you, uh, what was it, they put certain debts on you and you had to actually work that debt off. But in reality, you never wanna just go work that debt off in the first place. And that's actually not just in the, in the 30s. That's, this is something that happened uh, during Reconstruction or right after Reconstruction. Convict, convict leasing is basically the same thing that we're doing today. But that started so that the slave owners could get their free labor back uh, then. So like I said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. What once was is again. And we as Americans have in our constitution in the 13th Amendment a clause that it does free Africans so that they could become citizens or so they could have an opportunity to become citizens. But there's a clause in there that says that slavery basically has ended with the exception of prison. So what we, as the the home of, you know, we're supposed to be the home of the free, the land of the brave and all of that stuff, right? What we need to do really is we need to get rid of that clause out of our constitution. Not the 13th Amendment, but the slavery clause needs to go because that's how they treat people who were incarcerated. They don't treat them like citizens, they treat them like property. Exactly. There should be no human property in America. And then 
not only do you have, do they treat them as property, but I believe it was Thomas Paine, one of the so-called founding fathers, who talked about what happens to the minds of a person who enslaves another person. It develops a certain depravity of their minds for them to enslave another human and to mistreat them. So without removing that clause, I think that there'll continue to be this treatment. It's not just black people because when other groups, they get treated the same, but of course, no one gets treated like the black people in this country when they go to jail and everything. So so that's something that I wanna throw out to your audience to consider. Go read the 13th Amendment, look at that slavery clause. Many of you are going to be surprised that it's in there. And I would like to lead that, a charge to get that removed. I understand that. That's, it. Oh, man. Wouldn't we all we want to get that? <laughs> well, just move right along here. The criminal voting rights should convict criminals, should convicted criminals have the right to vote. How do you feel about that? So let's, let's, let's roll it back a little bit. Roughly 70% of the people who are in jail today, especially the, peop- the people that's like in the county lockup, they haven't been convicted of a thing. Right. But they're incarcerated. True. They're in jail. Right. Well, first of all, they shouldn't be in jail. Exactly. Because they're not guilty of anything. Right? Right. They haven't so been convicted. I have even said that we should we can lower our incarceration rate by 50%. Because if 70% of the people there haven't been charged, why are they in jail? So getting to 50% should be easy. The goal would be get all the people. Let's, let's face it. You get a speeding ticket mm-hmm. or whatever traffic violation. You forget to pay it. You're not able to pay it. You blow it. Whatever the case may be. And then they establish a warrant. Exactly. So now you have the original ticket that maybe you couldn't pay for. Now you have the fines for your warrant. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, if you want to get out of jail, you have to pay the bail. If you don't have the money to pay the bail, you're in jail. Now, another person who has the same ticket and forgot to pay it or didn't pay it, all they do is they just pay the bail and they walk. Why is that person still in jail? He is not, a th- he or she is not a threat to society. He or she is not a flight risk. So I advocate getting rid of the bail system unless the individual is a flight risk or a threat to society. There should be no bail. Uh, Getting rid of these onerous fines and fees. I want everybody to know this. The reason why the Nevada legislature will not get rid of fines and fees is because they make $17 million off of them. Mm-hmm. It is a part of our budget, and they don't want to remove that from the budget. And what they tell people like me who go to them and say, this is not right, they say, you find, they tell a citizen, you find $17 million to replace it, and then we'll think about doing it. Now, I say that's bovine defecation, because okay. we are the people, and you are falsely incarcerating people that don't need to be incarcerated. You have onerous fines and fees and unnecessary bails. That needs to stop, and that's what I will advocate for on the federal level. And not only will I advocate for it on the federal level, this is a little something different. I'm going to ask my constituents to organize, and I will help them organize, to push the state officials, Mm -hmm. as well as any other local government entities, to do the same thing. Fines, unnecessary fines, fees, and the bail system as we know it needs to be done away with ASAP. When you say the bail system, like, can you kind of explain where you're kind of going with that? Because I'm kind of having a hard time kind of understanding maybe so far as you don't want people to actually make bail that have non-violent crimes or? So if you go to jail. Okay. And you are not a threat to society. Correct. You Maybe you've been charged with something, whether it's a traffic ticket or death. Right. You've been charged with it. You're not convicted of it. Correct. What is the purpose of bail? Only two to three percent of people who have bail and are released don't show up. The majority of people show up for their cases. So that means the majority of Americans are going to come back if you sent them home. Of course. It's a nonviolent offense. Why are they in jail? If they're in jail, the average day in jail is nine days here. Mm. After three days, you probably don't have a job if you had one before. Of course. And if you couldn't pay your your ticket beforehand, once you lose that job, right, you're, gonna be you're definitely now. not going to be able to pay it. <laughs> exactly. So again, 
we are destroying the fabric of our society by putting people in jail. Why put a person in jail? Even this, it costs hundred, roughly $110 a day to Correct. put a person in jail. They spend nine days in, in jail. So you're already over $1,000, right? Their f- ticket was maybe $85. Exactly. So that they made more money off of you anyway. Well, no. Actually, society, the, we, the taxpayer, yeah. just lost a bunch of money because it was $85 was their ticket. We it cost us over a thousand dollars to house them to correct to get the, that money back, right? So it's not even cost effective to do it. I understand now. So if we just looked at just dollars and cents, it does not make sense. Gotcha, gotcha. Also, with the police body cameras, do you think honestly should police officials be re- required to wear body cameras? Yes. Uh, every person in law enforcement that has that interacts with the public should have to wear body cameras. There should be dash cameras. Heck, I'm all for putting cameras on guns uh, because mm, that's something new. we have to hold people accountable. The cameras should be turned on. The audio should be on anytime they have an encounter. Now, that stuff can be stored. It doesn't have to be released to the public. True. But that information should be there. It helps the police officer because sometimes people will sue the police for things that the police really didn't do. Well, if you have the cameras on, you can go right there and say, no, that didn't happen. Also, the police, when they commit acts, we can see it on the camera. Now, we know that that doesn't mean that there'll be a conviction on that police officer if he kills an unarmed person, especially if they're an unarmed black person. But at least we have the evidence. Too many years we used to say, no, these things are happening to us, but they would say, oh no, we would never do that. Now that we have the cameras, yeah. we can see that everything that we said was being done was being done. So yes, I believe that all officers in law enforcement, when they interact with the police, not only do they need to have the cameras on their person, but they need to be on and fully functional. The practice of putting the hoods up on police cars during stops needs to stop. Because that's how they get around the dash cam. Mm. They put the hood up. Right. Once the hood's up, all you get in the picture of is that. And while the action is going on on the other side. So we have to look at people aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll find ways. Well, just like they find ways to do things they shouldn't do, we have to find ways to ensure that they stop doing those things. Mm-hmm. I definitely would agree with that. Also, do you support increasing the taxes for the rich in order to reduce interest rates for student loans? I don't know if we actually have to increase taxes on the rich to do that. Uh, I'm not a fan of increasing taxes. Okay. Because usually what happens is the more money that government gets, the more money that government spends. Because usually that money enriches corporations. Exactly. And corporations are making inordinate amounts of money, profits greater than ever before, but the wages of the workers are stagnating or even declining. There's a slight uptick now, but because they've been declining for so long, even that slight uh, slight uptick doesn't compensate for the years when they've been in stagnation or declining. So I say, what is the money being used for, as an example, in the healthcare system? We uh-huh. need doctors, we need nurses, we need technicians, right? But for them to go to school and get a student loan that has interest rate on it more than for my car or more than for my house. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these colleges cost as much as a house. Exactly. <laughs> so they may never, it takes us 30 years to pay off a house. Exactly. So when are they ever going to pay it off? Again, we financially are enslaving American citizens. So the first thing I say is, what? How can we sort of game it out? So, in other words, how much is it costing the healthcare system for people to be sick because they're not able to see a doctor because there's not enough doctors and nurses? Well, I believe, and there's some studies that shows that we could make up all the money for a free education in targeted skills that we need. Mm-hmm. That we don't need to raise taxes. In the Air Force, when I was in the Air Force, we had to say it: work smarter not harder. Exactly. I'm a strong proponent of work smarter, not harder. Don't spend it unless you have to. Find the money. Make sure you're using the money that you have as best as you can. I definitely will agree with that. 
Well, I'm just moving right along here. So far as the environment, whether you believe on climate change or not, you cannot deny that humans have done an irreversible damage to the environment from oil spills to contaminated groundwater. What is your really take on the actual environment and how can we maybe change and maybe help it? Because I've seen a decline within the past 30 years. The air is different. The water is different. Everything is chemicaled. What happened to the actual natural aspect of us as a society to where we need to actually, I think what really happened was, so far as the smoke-free epidemic kind of took over to where now you have people that didn't smoke before, they're smoking now. I mean, what's your really take on the actual environment? Well, going back to climate change, regardless of what the man is doing it or not, climate is changing. True. Look at the strength of the hurricanes that we're having in the Pacific as well as the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So th- that's not an argument as far as I'm concerned. The reality is climate is changing. Yeah, you can debate whether man has a role in it or not. That's a political argument. Mm-hmm. The science says that it is, so let's deal with the science. It's changing. Yes. And it's impacting us. Water levels are rising. The temperatures in the oceans are rising, which means storms are going to be more severe and we're going to have them more often. Flooding is going to be more severe. There's a cost associated with that. Mm-hmm. Normally, we bear that cost on recovery. Mm-hmm. But, but look at the cost of just the two storms we've had so far. Huge. And that's going to increase. That's a burden on the taxpayer. Nevada should be number one in the states, in the United States, for producing clean energy. Not only do we have an unlimited supply right. of sun, <laughs> but we also have a huge source of wind and up north geothermal power all over the place. Mm-hmm. Again, working smarter than harder. Let's use the technology that we have to harness the sun, to harness the wind, to harness geothermal. What I believe is that just like Alaska gets a rebate, to, gives a rebate to its citizens every year from their petroleum production, uh-huh. Nevada should be producing so much clean energy from the sun, from uh, wind, and from geothermal that we ha- should have enough to take care of our needs in the state and some to export to other uh, states. Uh-huh. And then a rebate should be given to the people just like the energy rebates given to uh, Alaskans. We have the technology to do it. Yes. Uh, cars. There is absolutely no reason for the majority of vehicles on the road today to be uh, normally aspirated vehicles. They should. They, we need to invest in more electric power. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. The Department of Defense has the largest uh, fleet in the world. Okay. Just imagine the cost savings and the savings to our air if all of those vehicles use some form of clean energy. Just just that one, one area. I got you. Look at all the buildings that the federal government has, especially here in Nevada, because about 80 plus percent of the state is owned by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Suppose they were using clean energy to power those buildings. How much different would that impact our climate? We have the technology to do it, not just here in Nevada, but all through this country. The only thing that's lacking is the will. And what I'm telling the people, there's an old saying. It says, if the people will lead, the leaders will follow. It is time for the people to take their rightful place as the government, because the government is created by the people, for the people, not for the politicians. And we need to tell them right here in Nevada and in the fourth and in Nevada that we want to have a clean energy future, but we don't want to have it later. We want to have, have it, it now, now right. because the technology is available now. Mm-hmm. I definitely will agree with, with that 100 percent. Well, moving right along here, this this is a definitely issue that I w- would like to touch on. And I've been kind of saving it for the last really. So. Getting into civil rights, okay? So while great things have been done for the civil rights of African-Americans in the past, many believe that the same protections should be applied to those who belong to the LGBT community. This will be a controversial issue that needs to be discussed. And with that being said, my whole take on that is, I honestly think within the past 20 years, as black people, we were kind of, I would say 
not forgot about, but they kind of put us to the side. Then all of a sudden, a few years ago, this LGBT came along and then it kind of brought us to the forefront, which I have kind of a problem with associating that with the African-Americans. And why did it take so long for a group like the LGBT to come along and make them shine light on us when really we should have been at the forefront of the beginning of all this? So, so far as the LGBT community goes, what's your really stance on should they have the same rights as we do? Or really, is there a sort of a gray area there? No, there's no gray area. This is a kind of an easy one here. First of all, they're citizens of this country. True. And they should have the protections of any other citizen in this country. As far as African-Americans, African-Americans should not just be a minority because you're lumped in with a bunch of other people. And what we've seen historically is that as other groups ascend out of some of the, the mud and muck that African-Americans may be in in society, we're still there. So just like women are a protected group, yes, African-Americans should be a protected group. So it shouldn't just be things that's done for minorities in a broad sense. It should be how do we protect African-Americans because things are done to them that are not done to other people. I had a, I met with a gentleman who's Irish mm -hmm. and he was comparing Irish indentured servitude to slavery of Africans. And he wow. says, I don't understand why you all are still harping about that because when my people were indentured servants and they were able to get away, they just changed their last name and moved someplace else. And then my campaign manager happened to mention to him that there's one, we could change our name all we want. Right, but you can't change but the skin. The skin stays the same. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're never able to get away from it. So yes, I do believe that African Americans should have a separate uh, protected class uh, just because of the historical treatment and the treatment of African Americans today. And as far as the LGBTQ community is concerned, they should not be discriminated against they are American citizens and they should be treated as other American citizens are treated, period. When it comes to cultural groups and groups, the only differentiation that I usually make is that we need to ensure that African Americans are in a separate class, but all Americans should be protected. I should, no one should be able to uh, commit acts of crime against one group or the other. That's just, it's un-American and it's against our constitution. I agree. I think they kind of messed up when they necessarily wanted to divide themselves and actually came up with a name as LGBT. I think it was kind of better when they didn't have necessarily a culture for it, when it was just more so free. But once they kind of organized and got together and now they want rights and they kind of, just me, this is my more so of opinion, I think that they wanted to basically create a race within themselves as they seen what we went through. So I think by them establishing this organization, it actually gives them some type of singled out power, if you can kind of understand that. So I understand the concept, but in the break, we were talking about when I was a child and I used to take the Chinese broadsword. Mm -hmm. And I said that one hand you would do flashy movements to get the people's attention and or distract them. And then the other hand was the, that was the, the, the cutting hand, the, mm -hmm. the injury hand, right? So I think that sometimes when we go off into those types of things, the powers that be like to get the different groups fighting with one another. Exactly. Because if you can pit them against each other, then we're not focused on what they're doing to us. And they're robbing us blind. I know. Right? So I say, according to, I believe it was the 2010 census, Americans can self-identify however they like. If they're, if they're born a biological boy and they wanna be a girl, then they can identify with a girl. If they would normally be considered African-American, but they wanna call themselves Asian-Americans, they can self-identify, that's the law, that's the way it is. So since that's how it is, then let that be and let them do as they do. Whatever they do, because they're doing it, should not mean that they automatically can have harm uh, inflicted upon them because they're different. 
we don't want that to happen to, to us. us. Right. So why would we stand by and accept it happening to somebody else? I, I'm, I'm, that's something I'm not for. We're, we're Americans, we're citizens, we're humans. All those other things come after the fact and we should be treated humanely. I, I definitely can agree with that. And on, the, on another note, do you support charter schools? I'm not against charter schools, but I, again, to me, this is a distraction. Uh, the reason why we have charter schools is because our public schools are not performing as they should. So we let them off the hook and then we bring something else into play. And we know that uh, charter schools don't perform much better than public schools on average. Mm -hmm. So those two things kind of nullify. You get certain, you can have certain things in the charter schools that maybe you don't have in a public school. So charter schools have their place, but it's not to replace public schools. And this is another case of where the citizens need to activate themselves mm -hmm. and tell the elected officials. And one of the things that I will do as a member of Congress in Nevada's fourth congressional district is use the bully pulpit of my office as much as it is to help citizens organize. And what I would tell them to do, or I would suggest to them to do, uh, is tell all of the stakeholders, mm -hmm. the administrators, the teachers, the unions, uh, the assembly, the school board, everybody that has anything to do, and the parents as well as the students. They need to get in one room, mm -hmm. give them a couple of weeks, whatever it takes, and then come out with a fixed and finished product on how we can improve our schools. Remember, we used to have one of the best school systems in the nation. Right, Not exactly. that many decades ago. Right. So we know that we have the ability to do it because we did it before, and if we could do it before, we can do it again. But you have to have people in place that are willing to push this. What I'll say to, to your listeners is the politicians have proven that left to their own devices, they will continue to do what they've been doing. If we want things different, the change is in us. We have to know our issues. Stop blindly voting for people who happen to be your party because mm -hmm. if they're your party but they're not taking care of your child, that child should be your number one responsibility. Of course. Don't let the party outrule the needs of your children because those children are supposed to be our future. That's a strong, very good point. And just whittling on down to the last point that I would like to make, um, how do you feel about the workers' rights? I know every worker should receive fair pay, but how do you feel about them trying to say that certain jobs, men should get paid more than women or women should get paid more than men? What's your kind of stance on that? Again, if the woman can do the same job that the man does, then the pay should be the same that a man would get. There shouldn't be any uh, differentiation simply because she identifies or is considered a, a female, a woman. But that, it, this goes beyond that, though. So we talk about the minimum wage being raised to a living wage, and oftentimes people talk about $15 an hour. In Nevada, it's more like $18 or $22 an hour, right. which I support. But you know, we have people who have disabilities in this, in this country who work, and they get paid sometimes pennies on the dollar. I know. Now, we're supposed to have a minimum wage, well, is that minimum wage just for able body? But what about our disabled Americans? They're still Americans, and shouldn't the minimum wage apply to them? If they're out there doing a job, then they should get a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. Exactly. So when I'm talking about those types of things, yes, if people want to organize and go in a union, then they should be allowed to do that. If they don't want to organize and have a union, then they should not be forced to have a union. What I would tell employers is if you treat your people right, they're probably not that interested in organizing because they organize because they're not getting something that they need. So treat your workers right. They won't have a need for a union and they will love you. As a matter of fact, give them some stock options. Exactly. Let them buy into the comp company because we know that when people own something, they treat it better and they're more productive. I definitely can agree with you. Same thing with um, Amazon is doing now. As soon as you get into the company, they actually give you stock options and give you, I believe, uh, don't quote me, but 10 to 20 shares. So with that being said, they definitely know how to take care of their employers. So as we will on down to the end here, I just want to know, is there, if you can maybe, if someone was listening that really didn't know anything about politics or just kind of tuning in, what would something that you would want to 
maybe embed in the actual youth with this being the most important election within the past 50, 60 years. And us as actually young people are concerned about these issues because a lot of us have kids that are going to be affected by this election. And just briefly, could you maybe explain the where they would like to maybe see or go so far as um, America in general for the actual youth? So one of the things that I mentioned earlier is that we want to establish like a youth Congress, a youth advisory council, so that the youth can have a direct line to me. Right, right, okay. And that they will meet, we will meet on a recurring basis. Uh, that way they're being brought into the system. Our form of government is fueled by the people. Right. Well, what we have is last election cycle, we had more people who didn't vote than who voted. And many of the people who didn't vote were young people because they didn't feel that it worked and they didn't feel that their vote counted. Right. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to see your vote count, and yes, this is a plug for me, if you want to see how powerful you are, vote me into Congress and show them your power. You know, in Black Panther, when Queen Ramunda said, show them who you are, <laughs> yeah. it is more of the millennials right now than there is of baby boomers. I know. That's my generation. So they have the power, but it's potential power until they use it. Flex that muscle, go down to the polls, cast a vote and if you're in the fourth district please cast that vote for Rodney Smith that way you can see your power and then together we can do these things because I will take what they tell me and I'll even bring them to DC once we propose those bills mm -hmm. so they could be in the gallery while that bill is introduced I want them to see how government works we have to teach our young people in school yes government and we, it has to be continuing through their school life because they're going to be the ones that govern themselves because government is by the people for the people, mm -hmm. not just by those elected officials. So I'm a strong proponent that we, those are some of the changes I wanna to do to our education system. We have to teach people life skills, we have to teach them how to govern themselves, which means they have to learn how the government system works. After the election, we have what we call the Wakanda Project. Mm -hmm. And a part of the Wakanda Project is reaching out to our youth as well as others, bringing them in and helping to educate them on how the system works. As we've gone around, my campaign managed I and others, one of the things that young people as well as others tell us is they simply don't understand how the system works. And so they're afraid of it because people tend to be afraid of what they don't know. Exactly. And so we have taken on the responsibility and I'm reaching out to all young people and anyone who wants to get involved with this project to help educate our people as we can now until we can get that curriculum beefed up into our school system so that the next generation of children that we produce, it will be almost innate in them to participate in the process. The more we bring into the process, the less control that the powers who are controlling the levers today mm -hmm. will have over us. So we have to bring more, we have to edu educate them more on that. I definitely would agree. That is definitely enlightenment so far as the organizations with the kids and I never thought about that actually bringing them to the actual passing of the bills and letting, letting them see for themselves about how their vote actually counted and that way they will see change opposed just to hearing it or watching the news not understanding with the technical terms and not just really having a broad vision of where we would like to go as a society so that right there I definitely can agree with and with that being said I definitely appreciate your time, Mr. Rodney Smith, and it has been wonderful. And again, my name is E.G. the Urban Scholar, and you're listening to Renegade Talk Las Vegas, and thank you. Renegade Talk Radio.